There's lots of mysteries surrounding the book of Revelation. Sometimes it has to do with the symbolism that's going on and how that symbolism might apply to today and the applications of that. And we want to focus specifically on the seven churches in Revelation 2 and 3 in this episode of The Unapologetic Show. Christians, welcome to The Unapologetic Show, where we defend truth without compromise with Dr. Bobby Conway, the one-minute apologist. I'm your host, Tim Hall. Quick reminder, if you're listening to this on the radio and you want to check out this episode again or any one of the other unapologetic episodes, we would invite you to head on over to youtube.com slash one-minute apologist, subscribe to our YouTube channel, check out the unapologetic playlist, or you could listen to this as an audio-only podcast on your favorite podcast player. Bobby, you are in the midst of preaching through through the book of Revelation. And one of the things that we want to talk about right now here in this episode is why do you think people avoid reading the book of Revelation just kind of all together? So I would say on one side, um, people get overwhelmed because of how bizarre the book reads. Yep. I mean, it, and, and, to not, and to say that it's not, you know, mentioning anything sacrilegious, it just feels bizarre to yeah. us from our 21st century uh, framework. Right. Nevertheless, the secret to understanding the book of Revelation is found in the Old Testament. Okay. That's where our clues are. The, there are tons of allusions, literally, to the Old Testament. Not one direct quote from the Old Testament, mm. but tons of allusions that are there. And so if people aren't familiar with the Old Testament, they're going to really struggle with the book of Revelation. Right. People that don't struggle with the Old Testament, they can learn a particular system pretty quick. Okay. But I think for me, the longer I started studying, I was like, man, I, there's some holes in these different systems. And so uh, there's various interpretations, like you have the preterist uh, interpretation, which says, hey, this is largely fulfilled. You have a futurist interpretation. Okay. Uh, you'll have a historicist interpreta interpretation. Uh, and, and then you would also kind of have an idealist or an allegorical interpretation. Mm. So which interpretation are you going to take it? So it takes some time to learn. There are some people that, oh, it's not hard to understand at all. Yeah. These are typically people who feel like they've got their one interpretation <laughs> in a slam dunk format. And right. I'm like, yeah, it's not hard to figure out the pre-trib, pre-mill interpretation. Right. But if you're going to really understand the various interpretations and how it all comes into play, uh, it's going to take some time and it's going to take some reflection on alternative viewpoints. So even with all that background, all yep. those great props that you got to, uh, you know, be under at Dallas Theological Seminary, what were some of your reservations about, you know, preaching through this book? What were some of the things that was like, ah, you know, it took you 25 years to, to really yeah. tackle it. So what, what were some of the things that held you back? Well, I, I did struggle with some of the sensationalist um, messages that I sense from mm. end time people. Uh, there has been no shortage uh, of people who they go read the Left Behind series right. and then they're just convinced that they've got the God's unfolding plan all you know sealed up for them, right? Right. right. And I, I just felt like there was an oversimplification. We were never meant to read the book of Revelation in one hand and the newspaper in the other mm. with equal weight. Right. I think that, yeah, we should understand the signs of the time. Jesus told us that, that you know, we need to recognize the signs of the time. But when we're sitting there like looking at the, every single event that happens and go, oh, well, this could be this, this could be this. Um, so I was a guy that was a little bit disillusioned by what I think at times felt like 
some goofy Christian culture going on yeah. uh, where we were overly sensationalizing things, uh, you know, and, you know, people, I mean, I can't tell how many times I had Christians with their glassy eye look at me saying, he's going to come back in our lifetime and he's going to, I'm like, man, people have been saying that forever. So we can't let that disillusion us to thinking he's not returning, but we do need to have a check in place. And, and there, and, and again, there's some people that they have a particular interpretation and they're so bulldogmatic about it. They don't leave room for other options. And I'm going, yeah. man, they probably haven't spent a ton of time studying the other options or just entrenched. They're preaching to the mm-hmm. choir. Uh, and then they feel threatened if you challenge kind of that interpreted interpretive grid. Um, and so I think when I look at the book of Revelation, man, Jesus is coming again. I mean, we see yeah. him coming on a white horse, right? Yeah. Uh, in Revelation 19. Uh, I, I just think that I didn't want to come across as an overly sensationalist guy. Yeah. So what then made me want to teach it? Well, I'll tell you what. I'm looking at the times we're living in, Tim, mm-hmm. and it feels like, uh, we are just completely uh, drinking Kool-Aid as, right. a, as, a, as a culture yeah. and as a world. And I just feel like there's such a delusion over people. And I'm just thinking, wow, um, I, when I consider the kind of world events that we're experiencing and how fast uh, the, people are jumping ship uh, and not returning to church. Uh, I mean, we, we have legalized same-sex marriage in our culture. Uh, we, ha- we, we We've been in a pandemic. Uh, we have school shootings that are taking place left and right. right. Uh, we've got, uh, you know, the, the BLM movement that went on. We have so much going on, the riots, right. that I find myself going, something's going on here. Progressive Christianity. So I have got to a spot where I'm going, man, it all, I, I'm not going to say Christ is coming back in my life. No, I don't know when he's coming right. again. Right. Uh, he said he didn't know. So yeah. why am I going to say? But uh, man, I feel like things are coming together where it wouldn't be a su- surprising if this is the final generation. Yeah. I want to be prepared. Yeah. Well, I mean, again, some of those things you referred to were, uh, you know, kind of alluded to in those seven churches that we're going to get to here in just a second. But before we do that, I feel like we need to kind of set the context in Revelation chapter one. What, what's going on? What's happening in that first chapter? chapter that is going to set us up for this chapter two and three to these, uh, when we're talking to these churches. So what's kind of going on here? Well, one of the things that's great is you got the book of Revelation. It's believed to be written by uh, John, the apostle, okay. uh, who was the oldest apostle to live. Yep. Uh, if you take this as more of a futurist book, right? Uh, and and I do. I, it's not that I can't see some points of fulfillment here, yeah. but I think largely it's about the future once you get chapter four and beyond. Right. Um, John is in chains on the island of Patmos for okay. sharing the gospel, and uh, he gets this vision, and he has this encounter uh, with Jesus. But what's so great about this book is we're told the one who reads this book is blessed. Mm. And all who hear the words of this prophecy and keep what is written in it are blessed because the time is near. Mm. Okay. So when we read the time is near, uh, you know, there's lots of things we got to explain, which makes it's challenging. What do we mean? Is this second coming near? Yeah. Uh, but he has this vision of Jesus that that's really powerful. And then he is basically told that he is to 
um, you know, send this message on to these seven churches. Yeah. And these were churches that would have been founded by the, uh, you know, like people like Paul. There's the church of Ephesus, which is a church that Paul founded. Right. Then would later be led, uh, you know, by Timothy, then John, the apostle. Right. And so... You can imagine uh, these are current churches. So what you have taken place, Tim, is verse 19 mm. is the key verse okay. Okay, of the book. Chapter 1, verse 19, it, as we read in the book of Revelation, it says, therefore, write what you have seen. Well, what did he see? He saw a vision of Jesus in chapter 1. Write what you have seen, and then write what is. Well, what is? Uh these seven churches that right. take place in Revelation 2 and 3, and then write what will take place after this, metatauta, uh, and we see this metatauta after this in chapter 4. Okay. So after this uh, age would be, you know, the future. Right. So I think what you've got here is this present moment for him where he encounters Jesus. Uh, there's also the present moment of what's going on in these seven churches, but then after chapter four and following, it's going to be the picture of how God's going to wrap this world up in the future. Okay, that's excellent. So that's going to then lead us into the kind of these seven churches. And I'll say this before we we start to look in depth. Um, Bobby did kind of do three messages, three full messages on these. So we're going to kind of do a, a kind of a flyby overview of them. If you want to check out those messages, you can do that at imagechurch.live and then click on watch. We would invite you to check out those messages uh, there. So we're kind of just wetting the appetite here. Yeah, we may, exactly. we, we're not going to hit everything because we don't have enough time, but uh, if you want it more, go ahead and check those out. So the first one is you've labeled it the the loveless church at Ephesus. So why why is it considered loveless and what, <laughs> what, what, what if any application we can glean from that? Yeah. You know, what's interesting uh, when you look at this particular church in Ephesus, again, this was founded by Paul uh, on his missionary journey. And then it was led by uh, young Timothy, yep. who was his protege. And we think about the pastoral epistles, right? He writes to Titus, but then you have first and second Timothy. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, Timothy's the pastor of the church of Ephesus. Yeah. Then later, John the apostle would pastor this particular church. And what's interesting about this particular church in Ephesus is they have an ability um, to ward off false apostles. Like, okay. So they're fighting against false teaching on the one end, yet they've lost their first love on the other. Mm. And what's crazy is you think about this, this was a church that was known for their love. Yeah. Like when Paul is writing to the Ephesians, uh, I mean, they were known for having a real vibrant love. Um, and now here you're about, you know, 35, 40 years after the fact, let's say this is written around 80, 95, 96. Okay. Uh, so if you think, you know, this is written about 40 years after the founding of this particular church, with just in four decades, they've lost their love. Yeah. But you know what they're doing? They love their doctrine. <laughs> they love their doctrine. They, so they're yeah. fighting off these false teachers. And I think that God... Uh, his heart comes through in the Bible. Like, and right. this is a word to apologists, right? Sometimes as apologists, we can love our doctrine. We can love defending the truth. But here is a challenge that comes to this church that they've lost their first love. Yeah. And I think that that is important. So then what he says in verse five, he says, remember then how far you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. So basically he gives us this nice threefold application. Remember, repent, repent 
redo. Right. Remember how f- uh, far you've fallen. Like, like, think about it. You don't love me anymore. Uh, repent, right? Go my direction, turn the other way, and then redo. Yeah. Go back to loving me. Yeah. And so how many churches are filled with people that have been Christians for 30, 40 years? They can spout out their doctrine all day long, right. but do they still love the Jesus yeah. that they once did. Excellent, excellent word. Um, I do have a question yeah. uh, that came out of that. So in verse six, it says, uh, yet you have this, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. So that leads me to ask, what what was the works of the Nicolaitans? Well, some believe that uh, this refers to Nicholas, who was one of the early church leaders, some would say deacon that you okay. see uh, in the book of Acts. Um, others would question that, uh, but these would be people that would be uh, very much involved with idolatry and sexual immorality. And so uh, they're they're kind of, so, so you can picture Ephesus. They're, they're this... They're this moral church, so to speak. Mm, mm. They're this high justice church, right, right. but they just don't have love. Mm. And man, uh, we all know what it's like to have encountered churches like that. Yeah, we sure do. We sure do. Okay, so let's move on. Number two is the persecuted church and Smyrna. What's kind of going on with this uh, persecuted church? Well, interestingly enough, what's here is uh, at now the, the first known martyr outside of the New Testament was Polycarp. Okay. Polycarp was actually mentored by John the Apostle. Mm. So John the Apostle at one time was pastoring in Ephesus. Okay. And just north of Ephesus, you would have Smyrna. Okay. And Polycarp was there uh, at one time, and Polycarp's uh, knew suffering big time. Mm. Smyrna and Philadelphia are the only two churches of the seven that don't receive any rebuke. Okay. And interesting enough, both of those churches knew what it was like to suffer. Oh, and this yep. church was replete uh, with suffering, and they went through agony. And, you know, Jesus has a special heart for those who suffer, and he just warns them, don't be afraid of what you are about to suffer. Mm. Stay strong, and he encourages them along the way. Yeah, well, and we definitely see that there's churches like that, you know, currently that are just remaining faithful as they Absolutely. are getting persecuted. I mean, India, not, Africa, China. Yeah, I was going to say, not even necessarily in the United States, but people in other countries that are definitely uh, continuing. So again, there's lots more we could say, but we, we got to keep moving here. Yeah. So the, the third one is the the compromising church. So what were they compromising? What's going on here in this this third one? Yeah, this is the church of Pergamum. Uh, and uh, he says this in verse 14, I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to take to place a stumbling block in front of the Israelites uh, to eat meat sacrificed to idols and to commit sexual immorality. In the same way, you also have those who hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Mm. So they have uh, the Nicolaitan influence that we saw in Ephesus. Yep. So this is a little bit systemic. It's being spread around. Uh, but they also have the teaching uh, of Balaam. Now, this is not the, you know, probably the exact name of the teaching. Right. It's Balaam-esque like. Right. Right. Like right, right. we know when we think of the scriptures with Balaam and Balak, uh, the story where you've got uh, you know, the 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 donkey speaking and, yeah, yeah. and cursing Balaam and all that because Balak wants him to curse Israel. Well, 
I, I think it's just Balaam esque. It, it mm-hmm. the, the, in the same kind of spirit of Balaam. Right. We're going to see Jezebel in a little bit. Jezebel in the same way. It's kind of the spirit of Jezebel mm. uh, or the spirit of Balaam. Uh, but basically, this this is a church that's compromising in sexual immorality and offering things to idols. Yeah. And so they're they're going the way of culture. They're trying to fit in instead of stand out. Right. And we can see a lot of Pergamum type churches in our culture. Uh, it can look like progressive Christianity. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, you're just trying to fit in, uh, package the gospel that fits in a way for the culture. And but Jesus is telling th- that this church, man, I'm gonna take your lampstand away. I'm mm-hmm. gonna shut it down. Now, when people say, oh, well, how, you know, they're gonna shut it down, the church is still gonna be, they're still gonna meet. Right. Yeah. Well, they can meet all they want, but once the spirit checks out, right. uh, then, you There's know, no his fruit. blessings right. on it, his blessings not on it anymore. Yeah. No, that's excellent. That's excellent. So let's move to the uh, the fourth one. This is the corrupt church. Uh, and again, I love in, in this whole kind of passage, it says, and this is what I have against you. It's pretty, yes. it's pretty clear. Jesus is continuing. Oh, yeah. This is what I have against you. And he kind of lays out uh, just what you were talking about, the, the the tolerant woman of Jezebel. So what's going on in this corrupt church here? Well, you're exactly right. I mean, he, he says, I mean, we see that he's omniscient, right? He's like over to every every church he knows, right? Right, And then right. every uh, every church ends with the message, hear what the Spirit says to the seven churches. Right, right. So, I mean, we can, and, and whenever we're studying the Bible, a good thing to look for is patterns, right? Repeated yes. words. Uh, start looking for things that are isolated that stand out. Mm. Uh, start looking for connections. All that can be helpful. Uh, but yeah, this this church is just corrupt, right? Very similar in the way of Pergamum, uh, in Thyatira. Uh, you know, there's immorality that's taking place. Rank immorality. Now, an interesting verse is verse twenty two. Look, I will throw her. Uh, speaking of Jezebel. Uh, in her sexual immorality mm-hmm. into a sick bed and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent of her practices. Mm. I will kill her children with the plague. Uh, just as a, an apologetic point, I will kill her children probably means more like her disciples, her followers, right, her not followers. like her literal offspring. Right, right. Yeah. yeah, no, I think that's good. That's good. Uh, so then that moves us to the the sixth one, the the dead the dead church. Uh, this, is, this would be the fifth one. Yeah, the fifth yeah. one. Fifth one. Uh, so what's going on here in this dead church? Why is why is everybody dead? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, uh, they're barely living, right? right. I mean, he, right? There some zombies going on. He says, uh, "I know your works. You have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead." Mm-hmm. And what he's saying is, is you, you're just. You're, you're living unaffected for me. And mm-hmm. you're, you're, you're like lifeless. Now, this yeah. is scary. I know your reputation, but your reputation doesn't match what I know about you. Yeah. And I think about like the Hillsong and some of the people that were, been, that were associated with it. And, and man, they had such a reputation for being alive, but right. there was all kinds of shady stuff going on in the background. Not, and I'm not putting this blanket move on everybody in the Hillsong movement, right. yeah. but with some of the key leaders where there's been clear exposing. And that's a scary thought because God knows um, our real heart. We right. can, you know, we can have a reputation for being alive mm. and still be dead. Yeah. And He challenges them in that way. Well, and, and again, that leads us right to this next one. That's almost like a a, a one eighty, right? We have the faithful church in Philadelphia. So, what's going on uh, in this faithful church? Why? They, how? How do they get the title faithful? Uh, well, because they are being faithful in the midst of suffering. They're not. 
abandoning the faith. They're continuing to, uh, you know, to love the Lord, and uh, you know, they're not bowing down at all the other uh, cultural gods that are around them, and they're continuing to suffer. And I think that that's an encouraging word for us when mm-hmm. we consider this particular church. He says, "I know your works because you have limited strength." but you have kept my word and you've not denied my name. Look, I have placed before you an open door that no one is able to close. And so what a great word of encouragement. Yeah, and, and, and that kind of ends with saying, you know, I'll keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world. And so there's really, again, that just the, the picture of, of faithfulness there. Yeah, and some would say, like, if you're a preacher person, oh, this hour of trial that's coming on the world, right. or with Jezebel, this great tribulation, uh, you know, if you're a preterist and you believe that, you know, all of this is fulfilled, right. uh, then you've got some good explanations that you can um, mm. give. But it, it, and when you're reading here and it's like, hey, I'll keep you from this hour of tribulation coming. Well, uh, we don't believe the tribulation has happened right. yet. So this would seem like a failed promise to mm. them, right? So yeah. I don't think that they, the Church of Philadelphia was being promised to be protected from the great tribulation. Right, right. I think that there's something going on that they're going to be protected from. And I think that uh, just because we're seeing the word tribulation there doesn't mean it's the tribulation that we see once the seals and the trumpets and the bold judgments are poured out. Got it, got it. Well, that leads yeah. us to probably one of the maybe the most famous of these seven churches, uh, the lukewarm church at uh, Laodicea. Maybe, maybe Maybe only second to Ephesus, okay, because it has a book named after it. But uh, but why was it labeled lukewarm, and why is lukewarmness bad? Yeah, he says, I wish you were either cold or hot, but you are neither. <laughs> Instead, right. you are lukewarm, and I will spit you out of my mouth. Now, uh, the question is, what does he mean by lukewarm? Mm. Uh, some have thought that... Um, now, well, I guess the question is, is, is Jesus saying it is better to be you know, just freezing cold than instead of on fire for him. No, I don't think that's what he's saying. Yeah. Um, adjacent communities to okay. Laodicea, um, you know, one had uh, cold water. We all know that cold water is delightful to the taste. It's refreshing. Yeah. Uh, and then there were hot, natural hot springs in, in a close town nearby, and it had medicinal purposes, mm. and hot water can taste good. Well, the uh, the closest fresh water to them was about six miles away. Mm. And so the way that the Laodiceans got their water is water would travel down an aqueduct for okay. about six miles, and it would come into the city. By the time it arrived, it had lost uh, you know, the heat, uh, and it was just lukewarm. Mm. And so what he's saying is, and, and they were known for having bad water, right. Laodicea, it was, that wasn't tasteful, like a bunch of sediment and everything else. So he's like, man, I'd rather spit you out of my mouth. Mm. You're just lukewarm. And so I love when he says, though, uh, behold, I stand at the door and knock. Yeah, verse 20. If anyone hears my voice and opens it, I will come in and sup with him and he with me. Mm. And I think that's the invitation to us. No matter where we are, we can all step back and we can say, what would the Lord want to say to my own personal church? Yeah. What would the Lord want to say to the church in America as a whole? And what would the Lord want to say to me individually? Mm. What would the Lord want to say to my family? Yeah. Uh, Would he say that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm dead? that I have a reputation of being alive? Would he say that I'm lukewarm? Yeah. Would he say that I know that I'm with, you know, I know you're hurting and struggling, I'm with you? Well, whatever it is, if any of us feel in our heart that we need to return to our first love, if any of us feel like we're lukewarm, that message, Mm. behold, I stand at the door knock. And it's it's kind of a hideous picture. He's outside the church kind of knocking uh, and saying, hey, look, 
you can do things your own way, but invite me in and I'll fellowship with you. Right. And that's what I think we need is intimacy with Jesus right now, Amen. Tim. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Well, I, again, the, there's so much more we could say. There's so, <laughs> there's much, so more. much Yeah. Um, uh, so I just invite people to head on over to imagechurch.live, click on watch, uh, find the Revelation series, check out these. We, uh, you know, Bobby has titled them Letters to the Church. And I think there's three parts specifically if you want to just uh, catch up on these specific churches. But I would invite you to check out the whole series and kind of just follow us as we go. Uh, and and yeah. Bobby's preaching through the whole entire book as he does, which is fantastic. So um, Bobby, any kind of closing remarks, any other warnings or things that we need to keep in mind as we're tackling the book of Revelation as we read through it? You know, Tim, I think that my encouragement is for us is to just get into the word of God. Mm, excellent. Uh, I think we need revival in our culture right now. Um, I don't know uh, if we're going to get a national revival before Christ returns again, uh, but I think we should be praying that way. We should be hoping that God will give us an awakening. Uh, we are in bad shape, mm. uh, not only in the culture, but in the church. And I think that we need to be praying for reformation again in yeah. the church. I think that the we need to know really who's in, who's out. I think that it's time for pastors to be courageous too. Uh, I mean, when you're talking about revelation, you're getting into some judgments and stuff like that. Yeah. Well, uh, that's not real popular in a world that doesn't want a God that judges, that they want Jesus is my buddy formulas mm. presented every week. And we need pastors to be more courageous right now to teach the word and not go the way of the culture, but invite the way the culture, the way of Christ. Amen to that. Well, we hope this show was edifying. We hope it helped lift you up. Hope it gave you some things to think about thinking Christians. And with that, we will meet you next time on The Unapologetic Show. You've been listening to Unapologetic with Dr. Bobby Conway, the one-minute apologist. I am your host, Tim Hall. Be sure to listen to Bobby on Pastor's Perspective Monday through Thursday, as well as like, share, and subscribe to the One Minute Apologist YouTube channel, where we have over 1,000 videos. We would also like to remind you that this is a listener-supported program. We would greatly appreciate your support in any amount so we could continue to provide this ministry. If you would like to be a part of our team in any capacity, please visit our website at oneminuteapologist.com. And while you're there, check out all of Bobby's books, courses, and even invite him to speak at your church or event. Thank you for listening to Unapologetic, where we defend truth without compromise. Sponsored by Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa.